Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Common Frontiers, the Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast every Wednesday on Code Pink YouTube Live. You can also find us now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our own Telegram channel. And we're also very pleased uh, to let you know that Lee Camp of Rad Indie Media uh, is posting our episodes on his website, radindymedia.com. So you've got a lot of options to catch our episodes and even, uh, and even listen to them a second or third time if you like. So today's episode is Argentina, BRICS, CELAC, and the OAS. And I'm very, very excited to have all of you meet my guest. Franco Metasa, who is the Director General for Foreign Affairs of the Argentina National Senate. And we've tried for a while to get him on the program. And we're so excited to have you meet him. And we're going to talk this evening with Franco about this week's um, news headlines from Argentina, about Argentina uh, possibly joining BRICS. Um, we'll talk a little bit about some general regional themes that Argentina is playing a very large role in, multipolarity, uh, inclusiveness, and all of that being combined today as we're seeing unfold in the region through CELAC and the Organization of American States. So let me tell you, I want to give all of you just a brief um, definition of BRICS. I think most of the audience knows what BRICS is. But um, so here, but just in case you don't or need a refresher, here we go. The term BRIC, B-R-I-C, was coined by Goldman Sachs, I know, oh my God, economist Jim O'Neill in 2001 to describe the rise of Brazil, Russia, India, and China, B-R-I-C. The BRIC powers had their first summit in 2009, which was following the economic crash um, of September 2008 in the States. So that was 2009 in Russia, South Africa, the S in BRICS joined in 2010. BRICS accounts for more than 40% of the world's population and about 26% of the global economy. And just for reference, and, and uh, Franco, correct me if I'm wrong, China is currently Argentina's main trading partner outside of South America. And India is Argentina's fourth largest trading partner and the fourth largest destination of Argentina's export. So there's already a relationship with, with, uh, with founding members of BRICS. So everyone, I want you to meet my friend Franco. He's talking to us live this evening from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Welcome, Franco. Franco, let me better get my Spanish right. So welcome. I'm so pleased to have you join us tonight. And um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, about what's happening with BRICS. This was a big, you know, a big news item here uh, in Mexico and in North America. And uh, what what's the plan? Or is it, or is this just a news story? Well, hello, Terry. Um, I'm very pleased to be here. Uh, I wanted to, to be here first time you, you invited me, but this is like the perfect time. So how do we hear? About BRICS, well, you know, actually, it wasn't news for us in 2014, uh, 2015, we had this uh, kind of idea of trying to, to join BRICS. 
Um, but it didn't happen and, and, and it was like a, a project or, or an idea that was uh, in, in the time it, it was like disappearing. Uh, I remember that uh, at the first beginning, it wasn't bricks, it was brick with the S, the finalists of South Africa. And when South Africa entered brick and it became bricks, immediately uh, this idea of Argentina joining began and, and the, the, the letters would be BRICSA with, with the <laughs> final A. Um, yeah, but then it, it didn't happen because Brazil was uh, strong enough to, to represent the region. Uh, mm-hmm. And now uh, it's uh, with, with our pro tempore presidency of, of CELAC, it's um, an idea that came up again. Uh, but I'm not quite sure of how is, is this going to, 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 to work out uh, because uh, the, the chaos of Briggs says that, that it's an, uh, an, a thing that, that, that still needs to uh, discussed and I don't think we have uh, the, the consensus. Uh, but it's an interesting idea because the world is like, um, it, it, it's becoming in, in different blocks, uh, strong blocks. Uh, this, these weeks we had uh, G7 summit, today mm-hmm. and tomorrow with NATO summit. Uh, we had this uh, summit of America with, with uh, the one we are going to talk a little bit later. So in this configuration of this new world, this post-pandemic world, this uh, warfare world, I think BRICS would have uh, a very interesting uh, position uh, to play a geopolitical role, a key geopolitical role. It's a nice alternative, a very, I shouldn't say nice, it's a, it's a very viable alternative to growing um, a trade organization, an economic organization that's more representative of the global South and is uh, a, represents a multipolar, multilateral perspective versus a, a unilateral uh, paradigm um, of the United States. It's, it's actually very exciting. And so, so there's two things that you mentioned and I'm with Brazil and BRICS, is it um, within, you know, the coalition itself, is it not, or I shouldn't, how should I say this? Is it, is the coalition focused on having a major economic part, partner from each continent and so perhaps um, Argentina joining in South America is in, in competition or in conflict with Brazil already being part of the coalition or is that not an issue at all? That was uh, a reading I had at that time that it, it was uh, Latin America going to be overrepresented in Briggs with two major countries of, of this part of the world. That was the ring I had at that time. What happens nowadays? Brazil with Bolsonaro, 
has become like um, apart from from the whole Latin America. Uh, Brazil used to be like uh, the, the the main machine of Latin America, or at least the south of Latin America. But now with with this Bolsonaro, who is a very uh, polemic and controversial <laughs> political actor, uh, Brazil has not the same soft power in Latin America. And Argentina does. Yeah. Argentina uh, is leading the vote for uh, issues that are very interested, interesting for the world nowadays, such as climate change, such as uh, uh, migration. Um, to, we are very open to receive migrations. Uh, and we had two issues to, to, to things, to elements that are going to be extremely necessary in the following 30, 40 years, which is a sadly consequence of the war. And those are food and energy. Mm -hmm. uh, and we already have uh, a, a production uh, of food, which is uh, very interesting to, to, to the world that is coming. And regarding energy, we have some issues to solve nowadays, but we have the, the opportunity to become a, a source of energy, of green energy. Green energy, okay. Green energy being uh, solar, wind, what? Solar and wind. In, our, in, in the very north of our country, we have uh, very high temperatures, which are... Uh, very good to produce uh, solar energy. We also have lithium. We are uh, a, a, a big reservation of lithium. Uh, okay. And in the okay. south of our country, in, in, in Patagonia, in Argentina, um, Patagonia, we have winds, uh, very high winds. I used to live there when I was a child. Mm -hmm. and I, I, <laughs> it was very hard to go to school and stuff. Um, but that's uh, very important for to, to produce the the green hydrogen. Wow, I didn't real I didn't realize that. That's really exciting, and the and the lithium too, which which we know you know that's causing some problems with uh, <laughs> Europe and the United States wanting control of that, and Bolivia and other countries. And I think you know they're gonna uh, have it have the lithium fields here in Mexico run by the by the state, which is. Uh, which is pretty exciting. So, so this green energy, this is a whole. Well, this you know is what? Really exciting. Mm -hmm. yeah. let, let me make a parenthesis. Um, we call it the triangle of lithium, which is Bolivia, Chile, and the north of Argentina. And oh. now with Boric, Chile, and, and, and with the, the, the democracy again in Bolivia, luckily, we have a great, great political opportunity to produce indeed a three-party uh, state, uh, the lithium, and, and we can like have a strong uh, role uh, because we have three states, because what happens to us? What happens in Latin America in general? Corporations, big corporations who has the technology and the, possi the possibility to finance the projects to get out the lithium, uh, always negotiate with us like, okay, you need us, you need us. Um, and, and, and we are always weak negotiating, but now that we are three states 
yeah. in the same political position, it's very interesting for us, the, the, the thing that are in the, in the Lydium Triangle. Wow, that puts a whole, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. That puts a whole nother dimension because I know some people in our audience are gonna say, well, lithium, that's gonna be an extraction based, you know, uh, industry. Yes, but one of the things that has changed in throughout Latin America, I would say the global South as a whole, but particularly in Latin America since early 2000s is taking control of the natural resources, not letting, as you say, the transnational corporations come in and control the technology and control the resources and they leave, basically it's a neo-colonial situation where they leave, leave nothing to the benefit of the people in the country that they're extracting from. But, but what I'm hearing you say, and this has been uh, a different orient, a new or revised orientation with natural resources for the last 20 plus years, but to keep the benefits of the, the, the profitability of the resources at home. And so what I'm hearing you say is with this triangle of lithium with uh, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina, you have similar uh, government, similar politics, and you have the lithium and now you are in a position to, yeah, basically negotiate for what the, what you countries as the owners of the lithium want need. That is really exciting. I hadn't heard that before. That's very yes. exciting. I mean, it doesn't get off the extraction industry, which a lot of, you know, people around the world would like to see, but it is, um, wow, that's a very, um, that's really powerful and puts a whole new perspective on who gets to con control what's in, what's in, on, and under your country. That's very good. That's a real break with uh, oh. this whole neo-colonial model. Yeah, wow. So let's, let's talk a little bit about this break, you know, with, uni uh, with US unilateralism, US neo-colonialism, neoliberal capitalism. There, you mentioned um, earlier about, um, about South America now being in a post-pandemic uh, paradigm. Um, I would say the, the whole hemisphere of the Americas now, and this was one of the things, one of the themes that uh, really came out in the CELAC summit in September of 2021, September 18th here in Mexico City, was one of the things that prompted or encouraged um, the president of Mexico to reconvene CELAC after a four-year pause was this, what I perceived, I did watch the whole five hours of the, of the summit, by the way, in Spanish. <laughs> and one of the things that really, can you laugh, oh, you would be proud of me. And I took copious notes. And, and one of the things that was really um, fascinating, first of all, I'm sure you know that, that here in Mexico, people were just thrilled that their president was reconvening Salak and thrilled with the, the extraordinary, the majority attendance of nations. Um, one of the things that was consistently mentioned by various state representatives was that Latin America is in a post-pandemic uh, world, reality. And, and I perceive that as a humanitarian, 
unifying concept was that, yes, in Latin America and the Caribbean, countries have unified over politics, over economics, over various cultural things on and off. I mean, we, you know, we saw a pink tide, which, you know, diluted and now, you know, in some uh, manner is returning. But there is now, because of the COVID pandemic, what I perceive to be a humanitarian unity as well, because there was little to none support given to uh, Latin America from the global north, my country specifically. And, um, and that became really clear that it's needed for Latin America and the Caribbean to really unite on a level and for reasons never, uh, or at least to me, have never really been so overt. But there is almost like this humanitarian unity now that is allowing for more broader economic understanding and unity and, and not really pushing for political change before all of this happens. I kind of was very verbose there. I apologize. <laughs> but I see Argentina leading yes. this. I guess for the audience should know that the, the presidency of SELAC passed from Mexico to Argentina. And so uh, President Fernandez of Argentina is now leading SELAC. It really does seem to have a focus, a, a humanitarian unity that's never been there before or never so never been there so overtly before. Yes, uh, totally agree. This uh, humanism uh, is is key for 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 politics. We are not used to talk about humanism in politics. We should do it. I guess politics is always hard, power uh, exchange, negotiations, uh, and we need to talk more about humanism. I think that the the most illustrative sign of this is what happened with vaccines. Uh, I remember that in 2021, at the very beginning or May, June, we saw how some vaccines were uh, expiring and they were threw away in, not only in the United States, also in Canada, also in, in UK. And there were a lot of countries, mostly from Africa, but also from Central America mostly, that only had two, three percent of the population vaccinated. And there were vaccines that were going through were thrown away because they were expiring. And in 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 that moment, uh, our country was uh, began to donate vaccines to, to Central America. We, we have donated about three or four millions of, of vaccines uh -huh. to, to, to Central American countries, Vietnam and, and some African countries, mostly Central American countries. And that's, that, that's key for us. Uh, and we don't do it because, well, we are good people, we do this. It's because you have, one has to be intelligent if, everybody is not vaccinated this pandemic would come once again uh, right. until everybody's vaccinated so it's it's not useful for us to be we are 40 million 45 million it's not useful for us to be all right our 45 million Argentinians are all vaccinated 
but our neighbors know, and they come, we, we go there. Uh, so it was like key for us to, to do that. What's interesting about CELAC? CELAC is almost the same as the OAS, the, the Organization of American States, but without United States and Canada. Canada has not participated a lot. So it, it, it's a, a nice uh, framework for us because we can talk between, uh, between us in Latin America and, and Caribe uh, without having, without the necessity of going to, to OAS. And what is the, the thing with OAS? It's because I don't like OAS. No, the thing is that the Organization of American State with Luis Almagro as president has been responsible for the COP in Bolivia. And that is unforgivable for us. Democracy is about everything, or at least that is what always uh, United States says to other countries. Well, Luis Almagro, through the Organization of American States in Bolivia, were responsible for the COP that wanted to kill Evo Morales. They wanted to Evo Morales and they tortured hundreds of, 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 of uh, civilians. So uh, that is Yep, I think we lost you. Speak between oh, yeah. our voice in America. So it's uh so select select is all it is everyone in the hemisphere with the exception of the United States and Canada. The United States and Canada were uh, were not even invited to be part of CELAC, correct? And uh, so it, unlike the Organization of American States, is inclusive. <laughs> it's inclusive. And it operates because the US and Canada are not there and it's principally because of the United States. It, like you said, it can, it can operate uh, uh, independently of of U.S. interventionism in all of its forms, even just you know in verbal narrative, um, and I'm I'm really pleased you brought up you know the situation in Bolivia with Luis Almagro, who is the Secretary General of the Organization of America's States, and how that was just yeah an overt an overt attempt to use the institution to over overthrow you know a government, the president of Bolivia. I should just mention to the audience, there's a great report that the Center for Economic Policy and Research, CEPR.net, um, has done a fantastic study on the OAS intervention in the, and involvement in the 2019 coup um, in Bolivia. Uh, so while we're talking about inclusivity and non-interventionism, Let's talk about the Organization of American States and Joe Biden's Summit of the Americas that took place earlier this month in Los Angeles, um, which was not attended by a number of presidents because um, it became an, a very exclusive uh, event. 
um, principally because Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela were not uh, invited. And so much of the hemisphere, and here again, we're thinking more on a humanitarian, more humanistic level than, than actual politics. So much of the hemisphere was upset that those three countries were overtly left off the invitation list, despite whatever political differences countries have among, you know, between each other. The fact is it was not an inclusive summit of the Americas and, um, and your president did attend. I know initially he thought he might not attend, but he did attend and he, you know, shared some very good uh, comments right in front of, uh, of, the, of those people that attended, specifically the president of the United States. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about um, how President Fernandez represented Argentina and the hemisphere at the at the summit of the Americas earlier this month. Yes, um, well, he attended because it was important for the region that the voice of President Fernandez was there because he's the president of Argentina, but also because he's the president of Salak. He has mm -hmm. the, the pro-tempora presidency of Salak. So it was important to raise that voice there. And the, the things he, 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 he took there was that the Americas had the countries that America have. Uh, we cannot exclude one for some things and, and, and not for things. I'm going to, to give you an example, Terry. United States has no relation with Venezuela, right? Uh, the sanctions and stuff. But nowadays, after the war with, from Russia with Ukraine, and nowadays that oil is needed and, and the price is going high, United States be, begins to buy again Venezuela oil. So we have a double standard here. Right. It's all right. I, I, don't, I don't work with you in, in these issues, in political issues, but I do work with you making uh, commerce. I mean, that's a double standard that, that it's, uh, uh, that, that, that's not reasonable. And I have a thing with Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. It's very uh, unfair for them to always put them in the same bag. They are not the same. They are different countries. And it's, it, it, it begins to come xenophobic to always talk about Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua is a bad thing. It begins, it begins to, 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 to become xenophobic. Um, and they are different countries with different histories, with different governments, different systems, different people. So we have to stop putting them in the same, in the same bag. Uh, I mean, I cannot be, I, I cannot agree with Nicaragua, for example. I personally, personally think that, that I think that, that there are a lot of problems there. That's what I think. Um, but I need to talk to them. I need yeah, to be at exactly. the same table. We need to put yeah. light on there because if we, yeah. if we, we hide that, we put them up, we don't know what's happening there. We need to talk, we need to be at the same table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, and that's, you know, that again comes down to the, the humanism and this, 
um, how can you develop a region without having uh, you know, everyone at the table? It isn't so much. My, my sense is, particularly being here in Mexico City at this moment, um, is that the strengthening of Salah, the, uh, the reconvening of it after a four-year pause by AMLO here in Mexico, really um, it's, it came at the right moment. It's very strong. I, and sometimes we hear that, uh, and in fact, some, some of the um, attendees at the Salak Summit in September, 2021 outright called for Salak to replace the OAS. But my sense is that the region as a whole doesn't, the first option would not be to replace the OAS. The first option would be allow every country in the hemisphere to participate with equal as equals. Recognize everyone, every country in the hemisphere as an equal, which would include Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela. And as you say, don't throw them all into the same bag. How are we gonna, how can you understand each other, help each other learn, trade, if, if we're not all at the same table, communicating with one another? and building you know, a, an inclusive hemisphere. I know one of the, one of, I wanna pull up your, I wanna pull up the bio you sent me because I wanna talk about Mercosur uh, as part of this, of an, as an economic unifying uh, institution before I let you go, because I know we're running out of time. Um, you did your, um, where are you? <laughs> Hold on just a moment. My thesis. Okay, so your degree. Okay, so you have a, okay, we, the audience is going to be very impressed with you. Okay, so Franco has a degree in government and international okay. relations, and he did his thesis on the Mercosur Parliament. So let's talk a little bit about Mercosur, because you like, you know, you're, an, you really studied this. And it is a unifying, it is a unifying <laughs> uh, tool. Yes, well, Mercosur, for the audience to know, um, is uh, integrated by Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, and Paraguay. Those are the four original members. Uh, then we integrated Venezuela. Nowadays, Venezuela is not participating uh, entirely uh, because uh, for, of, of, there's a democratic clause that was, um, that, 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 that that says that if uh, elections are not recognized for the whole international community, they cannot participate entirely. Well, but what's the thing? Mercosur was created in 1991. We were in this south, uh, this very south of Latin America, we were in, a, in the middle of the neoliberalism cycle from the, nine, mm. the 90s. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the consensus of Washington was ruling those uh, days in, in economic matters. Um, luckily, afterwards, with uh, Kirchner president and, uh, and President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner uh, in Argentina, Lula in Brazil, um, Pepe Mujica in, in, in Uruguay, and, and Fernando Lugo in Paraguay, they, they wanted to um, 
to elevate the level of discussion within Mercosur and um, the integration, there were no more only economic, it was political and social integration. So Mercosur had his, its best uh, years during those, those presidencies. Uh, and it became a better, a better block, a better integrated block. Uh, and then the, uh, at that time, the parliament of Mercosur arised because mm -hmm. it was necessary to discuss between parliament, between parliamentarians, the, the integration, the regional integration. Oh, okay. Wow. So yeah, integration, you know, that's <laughs> integration and is a, and a more uh, humane and um, multipolar approach. And it does push, and it is, uh, I mean, I would, a lot of us in the in in the in North America would like to say it's a pushback uh, against the United States, but I feel it's more of um, wanting as as with you know hoping with an evolution in the OAS perhaps having an, an integration and having everyone all countries participating, not necessarily. Uh, pushing the U.S. out, although I, that may be what has to happen in order for the, you know, to give the United States a reality check. But that's not what I sent from the majority of, of, of people in Latin America and the Caribbean. The, 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 the goal is to include everyone. I think, you know, and you're dealing with, you know, some really tough policy in Washington, D.C. for like 200 plus years. So, but um. I, I see. You know what, Terry? Uh, yes. Yes. No, I I I want to I want to finish with 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 a, a concept that that you 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 brought to this talk, which is equality. What happens to us, and I guess it happens to all the countries in Latin America. We want to to have relationships with United States. Of course we want, you cannot in this world without having relations with the United States, but we want these relations to be from equal to equal. Yeah. We are both exactly. countries, we are both sovereign countries, our people are important for us uh, and we would need to defend our interests. That's what happens to us, equality. Equality, national sovereignty. <laughs> National sovereignty, yes. natural resource sovereignty too, I would add, with this lithium triangle. Now it is. Natural resource sovereignty too. So, okay, Franco, I know I promised you 30 to 35 minutes and I'm so, I'm so thankful for your time this evening. I'm so happy that we got to work together today. <laughs> We've tried for a couple of years to do this and I'm yes, just so, we could do so pleased. <laughs> I'm so pleased. So I and we'll do it again. Argentina. You should come to Argentina. I would love to. Let's talk about that. We could do a few live episodes from, from there. That would be wonderful. Let's talk about that. Sure. I totally like that. Surely. So, um, okay. So let me uh, just remind the audience you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program um, of hot news out of the region. 
We broadcast every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. This evening, we broadcast 30 minutes early um, at the request of our guest. Um, also, be sure to catch Code Pink Radio, which broadcasts every Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern on WBAI New York City, WPFW out of Washington, D.C. Both projects can be found on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. So, um, so thank you, everyone. And, um, and thank you to our very special guest. And um, we'll see all of you um, next week.